Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your spiritual journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Hey, I, I want to, as your pastor, just share before we launch into this series, which I think may be my favorite series of all time, but I say that about a lot of series, so just so you know, but I really love this series and what God wants to do through it. But, I, you know, we're, we're taking a, a step into the Sydney area with a new campus, and I want you to know that every time we take a huge step as a church, the enemy will rear his ugly head. And uh, so I'm not reporting anything specific, but I just want you to know that I've had a sense for some time at the beginning of the year that that's what was gonna be happening in these next 18 months, that as we take this huge step, that Satan will attack and oppress uh, the, the staff, uh, board, the, the, those who are all of us, really, any leaders in the church, and we're already beginning to see that. Because when you want to take a step forward, Satan doesn't want that because he knows hundreds and potentially thousands of lives are going to be changed and impacted because we're not just launching a new campus in Sydney, but then they're going to launch a new campus. And that's, that's, the, that's the model. That's the pattern of what Jesus showed us. That's what we're going to do. And Satan doesn't want that to happen. So I, I, I always say that to say, don't be scared. Don't be scared. You see, we, God wins. God has already won and that he promises to be with us in the fire when Satan does attack and oppress us. But I just want you to understand it's coming. And I'm not the kind of guy that finds Satan under every rock, but he's there. There's a spiritual realm. There's warfare that's happening. And uh, we don't often talk about that in the church sometimes, but I want you to know it's very real. Uh, when we launched the Troy campus, I like to say all hell broke loose. And it was the most trying uh, time in my personal life and ministry. And uh, I really believe that that's going to happen. Now, it may not just be with me. I know it's going to happen in the church. And I've already seen some physical things with some staff and with some other people and uh, spiritual things. Those are things that are going to happen. And I just want you to know that we need to be praying for each other. And remember to put on the full armor of God. There isn't anything that Satan can do in your life that God isn't aware of and isn't going to help you through. That's going to take us through. And uh, so I just want you to be praying for each other and uh, just understand what we're in take, uh, embarking on. Someone might say, well, why are we doing this? If there's going to be spiritual warfare, why would we take that step? Because it's worth it. Because it's worth it. You see, we can't stay where we're at. When you stay where you're at, you're going backwards. God has called us to take steps out, to trust him, to act in faith, and then we're going to see the big things happen. The walls will fall down. Good things are going to happen. Lives will be changed and transformed. That's what he wants to do, and that's our purpose. So we can't stay where we're at. It's worth it. But just know that there, the enemy will attack. And so I'm just letting you know that. So when you say, well, why is that happening? Or, but I just feel this way. Don't let yourself be drawn into the, to the tactics of the enemy. He, uh, in, in, the, in the days of Israel, uh, the nation of Israel, they would often complain and grumble. That was one tactic. And then there were the physical problems, and then there were the spiritual problems, people being led astray. So in all these, stay focused on what God wants us to do, and don't get caught up with the enemy. Well, I share that because I see it coming. It's already here, and uh, we're, we're in good hands. God will be with us in the fire. And uh, that's the greatest promise in Scripture. You know, we all make appointments, and that's what this sermon series is about. Jesus had an appointment in Jerusalem, and he was away from Jerusalem. He was moving toward Jerusalem because he knew that before he had come to the earth, before 
the earth had been created and people had been created, there was already a plan to rescue him because they were going to mess up. And, and he had an appointment in Jerusalem. So we're going to take a look at this appointment. Now, we all have appointments. Some of you have an appointment with the dentist this week. Uh, you have maybe a, a parent-teacher conference. Uh, maybe it's a, a, an appointment with your tax man or woman, who, whoever it is. There, there are lots of appointments in life, and some are like really critical, and some, are, some aren't so important, but, but some, of those importance are, so, some of those appointments are very consequential. I remember when I first met Paula, um, I, uh, I thought, wow, I, I'm going to make an appointment with her. And so I, I got her phone number, <laughs> and I, I had two-week annual training. So I was gone for a couple weeks. I was in the National Guard, and I came back, and I called her and made an appointment. And I went to see her. Now, we lived about an hour and 40 minutes away, so it was a decent drive, and uh, that was just one way. And uh, so I remember making the call, and so we, we met about halfway, and I thought, wow, I'm going to make another appointment. And so I made more appointments, and because it was so long distance, like, it, it was a considerable drive. I remember that first winter, and uh, it, it, it snowed really bad one night, and I thought, man, I want to go to the appointment. <laughs> and, and so I, I took off. I put a shovel in the, in the trunk and a rug, and I can't remember what else, and I took off. I mean, there was a couple inches of snow. It was sleeting. I mean, there was no chance I was going to make it. I made about a mile and a half. I was already in the ditch. And uh, I, I shoveled out. I put the rug, just kept on going. I remember that first winter, um, I was in, again, I was in the guard. I was going to school. I was wore out. I was tired a lot, and uh, I, I wasn't getting that much sleep. And so I remember trying to come home when it's dark for an hour and 40 minutes on the road, I was struggling. I'd be shaking my head, sticking out the window. I had headaches. I think that's why I have brain damage today. I really do. Shaking my head, trying to stay awake. So I'm a little slow. You can forgive me. You don't understand. And I remember at some point, my, my brother, he was in the guard too, and he had this uh, he, he was slated to go to Alaska if war happened. And they, so he had a 30-degree below bag. And so I borrowed my brother's bag, and I would drive about halfway, park in a grocery store parking lot, and sleep till morning, and then go. Because, see, that, that appointment with Paula was really important to me, and nothing was going to stop me. That, that's not even close to the power of the appointment that Jesus has in Jerusalem and what it means for you and for me. See, Jesus had an appointment because he, he loved us and he was going to keep that appointment because it was so important to him. See, he was going to miss it because he was coming to save you and me. That's why he wasn't going to miss it because he loved us. See, he created us because he loved us, because he wanted someone to love. And when he created us, we turned our back on him and so he had to come with a rescue plan. Now, this appointment in Jerusalem wasn't just one appointment. It was actually a series of appointments that culminated in the ultimate appointment on a cross. But the first one we're going to take a look at is the upper room. We're journeying in toward, Jer Jesus, or toward Jerusalem, toward this event that's going to happen. And to understand what happens in the upper room, you can't start there. You've got to go way back in time. We've got to go back to the nation of Israel. Remember, the nation of Israel are God's people. They're his chosen people. They're called out from all the other nations. And, and God has put his favor on the nation of Israel. But they've messed up again. Anybody else been there? 
they've messed up again. And so now they've been sold off into slavery in a sense. They've been, they've been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And, and this, by the way, is about 1,500 years before Jesus comes to earth. He is born to earth. And so the people of God cry out. They cry out to God. We're in bondage. We're in slavery. And, and God answers them, and he sends them a leader. God always sends a leader. Do you know that? God always sends a leader. Your leaders. If you have influence in someone's life, you're a leader. God sends leaders to churches, but he also sends leaders to your family. Men, if you're if you're in a family, you've been called to lead. Women, if you're in a family, you've been called to lead. If you're in a workplace, you've been called to lead. God calls a leader to remove, to, to, to help people flee the bondage and the slavery that they're in. And if you don't respond, somebody's going to stay in their chains. They cry out, and God responds. Moses begins to lead. He doesn't think he can, but none of us do. And, uh, and God uses him anyway in spite of who he is. And, and God sends all these plagues. There are ten plagues. The first nine, he, this opening salvo, Pharaoh just hardens his heart. He says he's going to do it, then he doesn't. He doesn't let him go. He wakes up in the morning and says, eh. And the tenth one is so horrendous, God knows that, that Pharaoh would finally let the people of God go. And here's what it is. This plague is that the firstborn of every family in Egypt is going to be killed. That God will send a destroying angel and every, every Egyptian, actually every family, not just Egyptian family, every family in that area will be, will be killed by the destroying angel unless they sacrifice a lamb. Take that blood, put it on the tops and the sides of the door frames. And when they do that, that the blood that has been shed will be a symbol to the, to the destroying angel to pass by that house, and that whole family will be spared. And that's what's happening in the land of Israel. And, and so the Israelites do that. They sacrifice the lamb, one life for another, right? And they put it on the post and the door frames. And then the destroying angel comes through. And all the Israelite families are saved that have done that, the nation of Israel. But the, but the Egyptian families, they wake up and they find all their firstborn males. All these children have been killed by the destroyed angel. And you can imagine the grief and the pain and the despair. And in all that, in that moment of discipline, that moment of correction, Pharaoh lets the people of God go. And to celebrate that whole thing, to, to celebrate what's just happened, the people of God leave. And, and we don't have time for the whole rest of the story. In a nutshell, yeah, they make it to the promised land. It's a long way. It shouldn't have been a long way, but it's a long way. Some of you, you know the story. You could be in the promised land today, but you've wondered. You're still wondering. You, you can go right there. Don't collect 200. <laughs> no, don't go to jail. <laughs> you go to the promised land. Like, like it's, but, but God has him celebrate this thing called the Passover because the destroying angel has passed over these families and he wants them to remember what he's done for them. And they celebrate it in this month called Nisan. It's the first month on the Jewish calendar and he has them celebrate it on the 14th day of this first month called Nisan, which by the way is about March, April. Now, 
So let's fast forward. Now you, you have this history. You understand what Passover is, and, and God has commanded the people of God to celebrate that. And now Jesus has come into Jerusalem, and he's about it's time for the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when they celebrate the Passover. And here's where I want you to join me, if you would. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Would you jump in? Find it on the app. We, we have all the sermon notes there. If you have the app, you can pull up the message notes. The scriptures are there. But man, dig it out somewhere. Find it on your phone. Find it in a Bible. Dig this out, because here it is. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Unleavened bread, why, why didn't they use yeast? Why? What's that whole deal about? Because the Israelites had to get out quick. Like the idea was, you get, when, when, when God gives you the opportunity to go, escape. See, the day of salvation is today. Don't dilly-dally around. No yeast. Yeast takes time to rise. No, we're going to make bread. We're gone. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Peter and John are two of Jesus' closest disciples. He's got an inner circle, three, Peter, James, and John. And he sends his most trusted disciples, the one that are in his inner circle, because this is a moment where he needs ultimate trust. And remember, one of the disciples, one of the apostles are going are to betray him. And Jesus knows this. And, and so he picks two of his disciples because he, he doesn't, he, he's got an appointment and he can't let anything stop him from that appointment. And Judas, who wants to betray him, Passover to be the perfect opportunity. See, he, he's already set plan in motion, but, but Passover would be the perfect opportunity because all the Israelite families are going to be in, in their rooms. They're going to be celebrating the Passover. That's what you did. Nobody's going to be on the streets. Like it'd be quiet. Perfect murder opportunity. And Jesus knows that. So he picks two of his most trusted disciples who will not betray him. And what we read next could come right out of a spy novel. Are you ready for that? Anybody like spy novel? This is right in there. This, where do you want us to prepare for the Passover, they asked. Where, where do we go? What do, what do we do? He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations. Make preparations there. Jesus doesn't give him a name and address. He says, there's going to be a kind of mysterious, there's going to be a man with a jar. Follow him. Like, that's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> He's pretty cryptic. It's cool unless God tells you Follow the man with the jar. And you're like, what? Jesus, I need more. What do you mean? I, I got to know more detail. I can't do that. You're going to have to lay it out, God, or I'm not going to obey. Now, is that where we're at a lot of times? We want to see the whole thing. God, you're going to have to show me more. How can I trust you? How do I know this is going to work out? I, I think God has a word for us today. Because... We'll, we'll see that the disciples obey. That's all they have left is just to, like, I'm going to take the step I know to take. And he said, follow the man with the jar. Okay? We'll follow the man with the jar. And when, he follows, when they follow the man with the jar, they end up in the upstairs room. And, and what they find out is that everything Jesus said was going to happen, everything he said would come to be, everything they need is already 
there. Jesus has been ahead of them. God has gone ahead of them and prepared the way, and everything that he said would happen, happens. Everything he said would be there is there. The only thing left for those apostles is just to obey. You know, I've been in a lot of situations in my life where God's called me to do things, and I'm like, God, I need a big plan. Can you give me the 10-pointer? Like, I don't want to just see the starting point in the first leg. I want to see the whole journey. And God said, the only thing for you at this moment is just to obey me and take the step I've given you. And I'm like, but God, I don't know how this is going to come out. And the apostles trust Jesus. And he picked the two that he knew would obey without question. And he had it all figured out. I just wonder in our life how many miracles we'd see if we trusted that God has it all figured out, that he's already gone ahead of us and prepared the way, and that all that is left for us is to obey. See, I want us to understand this today. Jesus does the heavy lifting. He does the impossible, and we do the possible. And you know what the possible is? We believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's good for his promises, that he, that he can do what he says he can do. And he's not going to leave us hanging. That's the part we can do. We believe and we act on that belief. God does the impossible, and he goes ahead of us. So as they left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. The Passover meal, by the way, was kind of like, it had a, like a certain ritual program to it. Like it was, every Jew knew what the Passover feast was like. Like it just, do, you do this, you do this. And the disciples knew the drill. You, you get a lamb, you buy a lamb, and you, you take that lamb to the temple and you sacrifice it. And then you roast the lamb, and that's part of the Passover meal. And then you get these four cups, and you fill it with wine. And each of those cups symbolize part of what God is doing, part of the, part of the four-part rescue of what God is doing. And we see it in Exodus. One of the cups is, I will bring you out. Another of the cups is, I will rescue you from bondage. Another says, I will redeem you. And the fourth cup is, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, like I'm going to claim you. I want you. So if you ever felt like you've gone through life and nobody wanted you, you didn't belong, Jesus says, you're my people. I will be your God. I choose you. So, so the lamb roasted, sacrificed, and then roasted, and then the four cups, and then there was the bitter herbs. The bitter herbs symbolized the bitterness of the slavery, right? The, the difficulty of being in slavery and oppressed for 400 years. And, and then they would, they would make bread without yeast, because, again, there was no time to raise it. And so they knew the, they knew the, the way the Passover was to work, and this is important coming up. They knew how it was supposed to go. They knew the script. It's like you ever, you know, you see a play or maybe you hear a song and then somebody changes the words and you're like, I'm famous for that. I don't remember words of any song, so I just make them up as I go. And people are, you can't do that. That's kind of what's happening here. 
They, they feel like, Jesus, are you, you're going off script here. What, what's going on? It's 6 p.m. It's time for this Passover feast. The disciples, the 12 apostles, have gathered with Jesus, his, his closest followers, his disciples, and they recline at the table. In those days, when they say recline, I'm talking recline. People didn't sit at the table like this. No, no, no. And uh, you, you restaurant owners you might consider this. They would put chase lounges in. Really, that's kind of what it was. And they would all kind of like lean over and you would like be laying down eating. Because remember, this was a culture that had put in a lot of physical labor. They walked a lot. You didn't want to be sitting anywhere. You want to be, so you, you would lounge and you would be eating. It was a, might be a couple hour meal. I mean, we're, we're talking, this was the time of the day where you shared, where you, where you talked with each other, where you heard each other. The meal, it wasn't just about the food. That was just a part of it. No, there, there was a whole lot more. And, and we learn in other places where Jesus really, he, he called the discourse in the upper room. So he basically taught them a whole lot of stuff because he knows his time is near. And he only gets so much more time with them. And, and look at this, it's fascinating. Okay, so, so they're reclining at the table there. And it says, he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Of course, every time he talks about suffering, the disciples say, no, 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 that's not, no, 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 we're not going there. Jesus, you're not, none of that. No, they had this idea of an earthly kingdom, right? That was, Jesus wasn't going to suffer, he wasn't going to die. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He says, I'm not going to eat this, this is the last Passover meal for me until the kingdom of God comes. I think it says two things. One is that for that to happen, a sacrifice has to be made. And Jesus is tipping his hand that tomorrow's the sacrifice. And I'm the lamb. And the second thing is, Jesus looks beyond the cross on that day, and he looks to the future glory that the cross will bring, that, that it will rescue his people. God will be praised because of his love for his people. And he looks beyond that, that crucifixion, because you can see that as the end. <laughs> no, it's just the beginning. And he says, I won't eat this Passover again, this freedom from slavery and bondage, until the millennial kingdom comes, until God brings his kingdom down to earth and it's run exactly the way he designed it to run. Jesus is trying to let his disciples know in this moment you've celebrated the Passover this way in the future it will be celebrated this way and there's a distinct turning point in all of history that's coming the next day and he's sharing what's going to happen a whole new promise of deliverance that's going to going to be theirs and going to be the people of God beyond the nation of Israel now the church and it's, it's going to be theirs if they will trust in this promise. He's telling them a new promise is coming. It's better than the old promise. You see, the promise of the old covenant was the Mosaic law. And if you did that and you sacrificed every time you sinned, you got a, another sheep, another ram. But it would get you through that one. But there's coming a day when a better sacrifice is coming. A sacrifice for all time. For all sin. And he wants them to understand that. See, he says, after taking the cup, 
he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. So now we begin the, the Passover feast and, the, and really the climax of this whole time. He says, for I tell you, I will not drink it again, for, or I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Like this is it. Something cataclysmic is about to happen, fellas. And he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he holds up some bread. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. Remember, there were multiple cups. So you're thinking, I just ate bread. That's kind of dry. I'm going to need some water with this or something. No, there's four cups. This is part of the program, part of the, part of the Passover celebration. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And the disciples are like, no, wait a minute, you're off script, Jesus. That's not the way it goes from, from when we were kids. You don't say that. What do you mean your body and blood? And Jesus is making it very clear to them that everything is changing, that there's a new, more powerful promise coming. See, the old Passover was a celebration of their release from slavery and bondage from the people of Israel, from a nation. But it was more about people being oppressed. And one lamb created just one Passover. But the new Passover, the new celebration, which was replacing the old covenant and the old Passover and the old celebration was permanent. Like there was only one lamb, a perfect lamb, for all time, for all people, to release us not only from the shackles of oppression and all the difficulties we face in this life, but way beyond that, to sin and death that sin brings. A new promise, a new time, that's going to be made possible by the appointment that's coming, we'll talk about next week, but the appointment with the cross. The death of Jesus on a cross. And what that means for you and me. His death in our place. His death so that the destroying angel will pass over our lives and give us the freedom to be with God forever, even though we don't deserve it. And Jesus is saying, you will no longer have to live in bondage. And not just the people of Israel, but the Gentiles and all people will be free because of this new promise. And do you know that all of us desperately need, we desperately need a Passover. We desperately need this new Passover. Because in the end, all of us, and these are real, by the way, I may be walking around all day like this. I don't know. They're supposed to go on your ankles. Like, these things are real. And so, so are the shackles that hold each of us. And they're stronger than this. You and I, we can't free ourselves. There is no key on earth that gets these things off. There, there is no, there's no good thing you can do there's no words you can say that takes these things off. 
Sin comes because of our own selfishness, our desires to do things our own way and not God's way. And it, it creates a bondage. We're in bondage to other people. We're in bondage to situations. We find ourselves in a broken, fallen world, so there's, there's the oppression we feel just because we are here and we live. But then there's the, the slavery to sin, and our sins shackle us, and no one can unlock the shackles except Jesus Christ. You see the key? The key to these shackles is this little thing here. Looks like a pencil, doesn't it? <laughs> I didn't know that. If I ever get in trouble in one of those spy movies, I'm going to need to know this. <laughs> like, like, you know, this is one of those things you've got to file away. <laughs> but that key won't do a, a bit of good in our spiritual lives. There's one key, and that is Jesus' death on the cross. That was the key that takes the shackles off, that allows us to live who how God created us to be, who he made us to be. And many of you, I hope all of you are tired of sin today. Maybe you're saying today, I don't want to be greeting anymore. I don't want to yell at my kids or my wife. I don't want to judge people. I don't want to be so critical. I want to stop chasing after all these useless idols that really don't fill, but seem to have my attention. I want to break this addiction. I want to live in joy and, and in peace I want to love myself. I want to be able to respect who I am. But the problem is you and I can't do it on our own. We can't break the shackles on our own. Once these things are on, they're on. And here's the worst part of it all. It's not just the bondage to these wrong ways of living and the sickness that it brings in our life and the pain and the grief and the shame and the guilt and on and on and on. But these shackles separate us from God. I still remember when we went to the Grand Canyon, and I was standing on one side, and I was looking to the other. You talk about a chasm. That thing is big. And you get to thinking, even in my good days, back in the 30s, I could take a running leap. I wouldn't even get, you know, a thousandth of the way to the other side. I'm not getting across that, no chance. That's the gulf that happens, that comes between us and God. When we sin, we're separated from him. And we're separated by this great chasm, and it's farther than you and I are ever going to leap spiritually. We aren't going to do it. We can't bridge the gap. The only thing that bridges the gap is Jesus Christ himself. So for all eternity, we're separated from a perfect father and all the good that he's ever created. And Jesus says, I don't want that for you. Yeah, you deserve it, but I love you. I want you to be my people, and I want to be your God. And so Jesus keeps his appointment with the cross. And when he dies on that cross, and I don't want to take too much away from next week, but he says, it is finished. And he takes our place. He is the Passover lamb who was crucified for you and for me, who died in our place so that we could be free. So that when we said yes to Jesus, that the shackles could come off. 
I might be a police officer someday. This, I think I'm qualified. <laughs> yeah, it's no fun to have these things on. Can, can you imagine on your ankles and on your feet and on your mind? See, the shackles are everywhere. It's not just a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. And when we have shackles and we live in fear, and we live in guilt, and we live in shame, and we don't live at the high calling God has for us. And we all ask this question when we're in the midst of that moment, when we have those shackles on, we say, what a wretched man I am. We say it with Paul. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will rescue me? And Paul says, when he discovers the answer, he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Aren't you so glad, and the praise team can come on up, aren't you so glad that Jesus kept his appointment with the cross so that the rest of your life, because of your choices and your decisions, you don't have to live with these on, that they can be removed from your, from your mind and from your heart and from your possibilities, and that you don't have to live separated from God for all eternity. And Jesus wanted us to know in that upper room, he wasn't just telling the 12 disciples, but he was, he was saying it for each of us. I got a new promise. It's better than the old promise. If you will trust in me, if you'll receive what I've done on the cross, I want to release you from the bondage of this world. I want to release you from the slavery to sin that you can't break on your own. I want to give you the key to eternal life. And he, he takes, during this service, he takes some bread and he holds it up. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my body broken for you. I, and he takes the cup, that fourth cup, and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. And do you know that whenever we celebrate communion, whenever we celebrate communion together, you know what we're saying? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to bow your heads with me and just in a moment we're going to celebrate communion together. So would you just stand wherever you're at? I'll do that. Close your eyes and then stand. I hope you don't fall. Stand and then close your eyes. We'll pick you up. It's all right. If you feel like you have the shackles on you today, you can feel them clanging wherever you go. You feel really like you're never going to be free. Would you trust in Jesus today? Would you trust in what he's done on the cross? Would you receive him this morning and say yes to his entry into your life? Would you just give him a freedom to do what only he can do and unlock your heart to forgive you of this sin that you can't peel away, but he can? Would you give him the freedom to do that? Would you turn from the path you've been on and 
and begin to turn toward him and let him be the leader of your life to, to lead you to where he wants you to go, to righteousness and joy and peace, to the place of power that he has for you, to the place that only he knows fully but wants for you. And this morning, Father, I just lift up all the hearts in this place this morning. Some have never said yes to you. This morning, would you help them to, to receive you, to receive this new Passover that their lives may be passed over, that the destroying angel wouldn't keep them for eternity, but Father, that they would be with you, your people, in your time, with your joy and with all the goodness that you have. Perfect Father. And would you remake them in your image? Would you restore them? Would you cleanse them? Would you bring them to the high calling you have for their life? I just pray that, Lord, will they truly give you it all and just trust you and what you did on the cross and your love for them. Father, pray for those in this room who've said yes to Jesus, but there are things in their life that still cling to them, that, that still hold them down and chain them down. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it is a sin of some kind. Maybe it's an unwillingness to take the step that you've called them to take. Father, would you release those shackles? Would they be just like those disciples and trust you to do the impossible as they do the possible and believe that you are who you say you are, that you can do what you say you can do, and you want to take them to a new place. You want to use them for a purpose that's beyond what they've ever imagined. And you got it. You've got them. I just pray that today, as we celebrate this Passover feast together, that we would celebrate who you are for all eternity, starting right now. And as we come, we will come in thanksgiving, and we thanks be to God. Thanks, Jesus, for releasing our chains. I'm going to, in just a moment, invite you during this song to come and celebrate communion together. I want you to know that communion is that Passover celebrated over and over and over because at the Last Supper, in that upper room, Jesus wanted, wanted us to keep forefront and center this Passover, this sacrifice for you and for me. He wanted that to be central in our life. So every time we celebrate communion, we're remembering what Jesus did on the cross. We're remembering the Passover. We're remembering the freedom from bondage and sin and slavery. And so when you come, if you've said yes to Jesus, we want to invite you to one of these tables. If you already have it, great. If not, during this song, you can come. There's some in the back. And you'll peel off the top layer, and the bread will be there flat, unleavened. <laughs> no rising, because there is no more time. Don't wait. Don't wait for the bread to rise. Don't wait for things to get better, get this cleaned up. No, do it right now. Say yes to Jesus. And then peel the next layer and drink the cup and celebrate that his blood has been poured for you in your place. And you can say yes to him right now in your seat and then join us at the table. I want you to be there. I want you to be there. I'm praying for you to be there. And when you celebrate, then sing with us with joy. And, uh, and I just pray that there won't be any shackles left here today. This isn't the key. Jesus is the key.
Let's celebrate. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected to all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share with a friend because change lives, change lives.